Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights on Northampton Town Audio Show. I'm Tom Reed, and on a crunchy Easter weekend for the town, I'm joined by four guys hoping that the Cobblers can resurrect their season. It's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney, Jefferson Lake and James Averill. How are you doing, guys? You OK? Hi, yeah, Tom. OK, bad. thanks. Andy, I was looking at some of the scores over the week and I don't know if you noticed, I think Japan, did Japan thrash someone? In they beat Mongolia 14-0. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was tight. It was tight until the last 10 minutes. <laughs> As soon as I saw that, I was like, that's the, that's definitely an Andy Bodfist job. I don't even know if you commented on it, but that would be a I'm lot. Not, yeah, I'm on the J-League at the weekend as well, so I'll be able to, to wax lyrical about that, I think. But that's a hell of a lot of commentating to do, isn't it? Because sometimes in a game you have these quiet periods where you can just sort of like, <laughs> not, you know, not drift off, but with that many yeah, goals. Yeah, well, I'd forgotten probably... about this because um, some years ago at Eurosport, I did a Women's Champions League match between, I think it was Leon and Wolfsburg, and they were... I think the aggregate score was two-legged affair. The aggregate score was 26-0. Wow. Um, they won the first leg 14-0, um, Leon. And I'd sort of forgotten about the match. Then I was working with someone a couple of years ago, and they came up to me and said, oh, did you do that, Leon? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause it, and I was, they said to me, um, because you said at the end, I mean, Wolfsburg brought um, – they made a couple of changes like this. And apparently I said, yeah, now then, the last throw of the dice – I'm 24-nil down on aggregate. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's a difficult sell, something like that, really. <laughs> Especially in Mongolia. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But so in two, games, in two games, they pretty much outscored the Cobblers this season. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone in real life been on the end of a, like a, a spanking like that in a game where you're just demoralised? Oh, God, yes. Sir. Yeah, yeah. Sunday I think 13 nil is the worst we've been on the end for the Cobblers fans team. We played a bunch of West Brom kind of former youth players, and there was a lad who played on the right wing who was, I've, I've still not recovered from it about eight years later, if I'm honest. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, they switched him to the left wing for the, for the last 10 minutes. But yeah, that was the biggest spank in 13 nil, I think it was. Not bad. Can anyone beat that? I reckon I probably could, but I may have blanked out the score. I've, I've had a couple. I've played in a couple of shockers that have been in, in double figures. Yeah, mm. me too. Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, I, th- I think it was like I, I played in a 
for the Cub team, the Cub Scouts. And Parklands were always really good. And they had, I'm sure it's the same guy, a guy called Ian Vass, who played rugby to a really good level as well. Yeah, he played for Saints, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it's the same guy, if he's listening. He was an absolute unit, absolute monster, and we just battered us, basically, and scored loads of goals. But I think he was a useful footballer as well. It's got to be the same guy. There can't be many Ian Vasses out there, so he was pretty yeah, useful. But just one of those ones you had to yeah, just take on the chin. There's always next week. But um, Andy, what's your football moment of the week? Is it something other than Japan's monster in of Mongolia? Yeah, I've got two moments of the week. First one's personal. Um, managed to... Um, quite happy that I managed to match with Denise Coates on uh, Tinder. Um, quite liked her um, biography. Um, own, own house and car. Uh, fi- financially solvent. Um, but yeah, my football moment of the week is... Um, apologies to James. He can perhaps sort of fill in the gaps here. But I quite enjoyed North Macedonia winning in, in Germany the other night in... In World Cup qualifying, which was a bit of an eye-catching result. Um, and one of the things I liked about it, it's only Germany's third World Cup qualifying defeat ever. Wow. And they've all been at, they've all been at home. Wow. And it was their, their, their first their first defeat in World Cup qualifying since 5-1. Yeah. Well, I mean, 20 years. <laughs> That's nearly 20 years. scored. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, quite an eye-catching moment. And um, I just enjoyed the result, really. Go on, you North Macedonians. Goran Pandev, 37 years young, um, scored. That is amazing. He's been been going years. And there he is, still there, captain in the team, top um, international goal scorer for that nation. Now North Macedonia. It's not just Macedonia. And uh, what just what a result, basically. Brilliant. So the team's not even like, they can't even pick from the whole of Macedonia. It's just from a, a portion of Macedonia. No, it ha- um, ever since the breakup of Yugoslavia, there's been a, a bit of a... Greece don't like it being called Macedonia because yeah. part of Greece is called Macedonia as well. And it's a bit well, kind of imperialist and that. It's a region as well as a country, isn't yes. it? Yes. And part of Macedonia spans that border yeah so you've got greeks that identify as macedonian sort of thing mm. yeah. so, they, so they haven't lost any players they've just had to change their name and they it seems like greece and well northern macedonia is now finally compromised on something that works yeah. it's better than the original name which i don't know if anyone remembers Former was, Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia? Yeah, or Fyrom, <laughs> for, for the natty short name, yes. Give me an F. <laughs> I'm just looking at the um, the game now. I, I I saw the result, but it's just a massive turn for the books. I'd actually like to know the odds on that. They must have been pretty huge. I know you're a betting man, Martin. Must have been probably 20 to 1 or something, like 15 to 1. I would have thought they were that high. It wasn't. It wasn't one that popped in the ACA. Or I don't think I had any bets <laughs> on the internationals in the week. So, Do you reckon uh, there's someone out there that's uh, accidentally put North Macedonia into their thing by instead <laughs> thought they put Germany and have w- woken up to a huge win on their accumulator? It'd be amazing. Um, we'll gloss over the possession stats in that game because it was 70% to Germany, 30% to North Macedonia. But um, just a brilliant win. Maybe, Andy, maybe a bit of a hangover of... Jura Chim Lowe's decision to quit. He's going to quit soon, isn't he? I think. 
Yes, um, it's going to be his last tournament, isn't it? And um, yeah, with the best will in the world, when something like that is announced, um, probably nine times out of ten, it's going to it's going to overshadow the squad, and people are going to be thinking about it and talking about it, and it can have an adverse effect. Um, although, having said that, I mean, I was a Italia ninety. We all knew that Bobby Robson was going to be leaving after that tournament, and look what happened there with England. So. You never know. But yes, maybe the two are connected. We'll just never know. This is this is football after all. You just never know. Mm. The Denise Coates reference is, uh, is a ref- I think if that relationship actually, you know, goes, you know, ahead, Andy, you might have a little slight sort of a gap between your earnings with all due respect. Isn't she isn't she being paid like four hundred and twenty million from Bet three six five? Yeah. I think isn't that just the salary as well? Yeah. yeah with a, <laughs> she just wants a tennis partner, mate. I mean, six, 16 tennis courts um, <laughs> in the 200 acres or whatever. I mean, I think it probably must have been this time last year there was a story about her. And um, I don't know whether you guys remember, but I think she lives, or well, the, the empire at the moment is based in Cheshire, but she's actually building um, kind of like this fortress n- near Stoke where obviously the family are from, and it was just, I mean, it's a Russian oligarch territory. Like, you know, sunken koi carp lakes, underground tennis courts, absolutely stunning. But, um, yeah, I've got an open mind, and, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Mm. It's, it's like, but it's, it's just staggering to think of it, isn't it? That much, you know, that wage in a year, 420 million. But I think... You know, in credit to Bet365, if there is such a thing, the company that they run, I think they're actually onshore. They're an onshore betting company, so they do pay a bit. They pay tax, whereas a lot of them are actually based in Gibraltar and countries like that, so they don't actually pay tax. So that's that's one thing. But, yeah, it's just a staggering amount. The club actually owns Stoke City. So um, is her, her father, Peter Coates, I think? So there's a lot of money that goes into Stoke. But, yeah. All the best with that one, mate. You have to introduce us. <laughs> yeah, mate, you won't see hide no hair of me after the uh, after the greyhound, mate. I tell you. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Moving to Cheshire, mate. I tell you. <laughs> uh, but that was a good one, Andy. Um, let's go to you, Martin. Have you got a football motor of the week? Um, I do. I do. Um, I was very, very heartened by Gareth Bale's actions this week. Um, for those that haven't seen it, there was a fairly horrible, uh, awful uh, incident in the um, Rangers game in the, um, oh, the old Thursday night league um, last week where Glenn Camera got racially abused by Andre Cadela. And um, he came up against Wales and Gareth Bale, it very much looks like, has jumped up for a header checks behind him to make sure he knows who is behind him and has smashed Andre Cadella with his elbow in the face and yeah, that so. for me was a lovely, lovely action Did he get a card for it? Um, I'm not sure if he did um, often, you know often hard to see but it definitely the intention was there and frankly more power, more power to his elbow <laughs> <laughs> Any more, mate, and the guy would be in hospital. So, 
Yes. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that footage of Emre Chan? Uh, not Emre Chan, sorry, Emre Belazoglu, the guy who used to play for Newcastle, where he, yeah. he racially abused uh, someone in a Turkish league. And there's just like a 10-minute highlight reel of in the next match, them just kicking him into oh. absolute oblivion. And you're just thinking, God, he will, he will never make that mistake again, will he? Yeah, <laughs> great shout, that. It was um, Didier Zakora, wasn't it? Used to play for it was, Spurs. yeah. Yeah. I think um, Gareth Bale will definitely say that he didn't see the guy. But he, when you look at him, he looked like he had a little look over his shoulder. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I saw that. And sometimes, you know, some people get their just just rewards, don't they? So say no more on that one. That was a good one, Martin. Um, Bale's not a great one for speaking to the media, is he? He's not particularly charismatic, you, you might say, despite being a very good footballer. But mm. probably judge someone more by their actions than their words in this case. And he's oh. certainly, you know, Got up in my estimations. <laughs> He's up there with mine's uh, football heroes at the moment. So fair play, fair play to him for that. Um, Jeff, how you doing, mate? Have you got a football moment of the week for us? I have indeed, and it was um, a, a, a sort of a case of two of the themes of this podcast colliding uh, <laughs> this week in um, an interview with Aidy Boothroyd after um, the England Twenty Ones, where not the game where they didn't qualify, the game before that where they virtually, you know, completely balls everything up to the point where they weren't going to qualify. Mm. And he said um, he was basically uh, on a rant about losing players to the senior side. Mm. Um, and I just thought it was a, I thought he made a really good point. And it's kind of, I said it's a theme because we've often talked about the cobblers having, you know, an identity across the club. You yeah. know, a, a new coaching structure. We we've kind of pitched the idea of them being a pioneering club in that sense, and um, you know this kind of structure of how all the teams play, and it's a, a, a completely aligned uh, philosophy through all the age groups and stuff like that. And that's really what, um, in an international sense, although not not great this week, is what Germany have done for a long time and have been very successful. At. So uh, I think I've read somewhere Serge Gnabry played in the under 21s for four years or something, but and now he's in the senior side, losing to North Macedonia. So I suppose the point doesn't really stand. Um, but so but Boothroyd's point was that um, he, he can only do so much with the under 21s because their better players are all taken by the senior side. Now, whether or not you you agree with that and actually he's still being left with some very good players that he should be able to get results from is almost a different story because the fact of the matter surely is they didn't England did not need some of those under 21 players for the games against um Sam San Marino wasn't it and Albania Poland is a different uh proposition and was obviously a much harder game and would have been a lot harder if they'd had the best centre forward in the world available, which they of course didn't. Um, but yeah, it just uh, it was a weird one because it's kind of like Aidy Boothroyd is is on is in line with with what we've been saying for so long about how there should be structures and a cohesive way of thinking. So really, like the cult is 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 growing. You know, it's, <laughs> it, he's, he's got a point. Every, everyone sign up. Um, he'll probably get fired soon, to be fair, from the under twenty ones. But you know. Briefly, he, he uh, struck on a moment of clarity. <laughs> I, 
noticed that since you've signed that deal to do his book for him, that your, your <laughs> tune has changed, Jeff. Every football moment of the week will be, now be the Aidan Boonroyd words of wisdom of the week. He's, he's finally building that aeroplane in the sky. I just think there's two points to that. Um, he did make some... I guess, I don't know. I bet the Germans, funnily enough, have got a word for this, is when you make you make a point that's really reasonable, but it's just overshadowed by, I guess, the expectations of the, the public and stuff. And yeah. the, the thing is, he has also reveled in success with under 20, the under 21. So the England unders were doing pretty well in tournaments and stuff like that a couple of years ago. Oh. Um, so... You know, we can't deny that the winning stuff actually doesn't does matter that level. You know, there's a lot of it sort of ego driven and trying to be, you know, at the top of those leagues, little mini leagues and tournament, tournaments and stuff. And that's one thing that England fans can, could say that he should have done better with no matter what he had. Uh-huh. From a Northampton perspective, we always go back to how the bloody hell did he get that job taking Northampton to the bottom of the bottom division in English football? Uh-huh. And that, sadly, for you know, your man Boothroyd is always going to be dragged up and probably for quite good reason because it still staggers me. Can anyone explain how that happens? You know, surely as an England coach, you take your team to the top of the top division and then you get considered for England or you chose something. I know he had the Watford experience, but that's still mind boggling, Jeff. It was, it was clearly said out of frustration, wasn't it? You know, Mm. his his comments about it being ultra and what did he say? The utterly impossible job, he said, didn't he? I was thinking earlier on that maybe you can tra- if, if if he does lose his job you can trace it back to that decision on Akin Femroy in a, a really sort of round sort of obscure way in that it was never the same for him at Northampton after that I think a lot of the uh sort of annoyance at Bufoy was because we actually quite liked him for for a while and he was doing a good job in everything and that we had the issue at Wembley with Akin Femwa. He never really recovered from that. He went from the playoff final at Wembley to, am I right, Jeff, the bottom, bottom of the league? When he yeah, got fired? yeah. That was the fallout, wasn't it? Um, post, post Bradford. Yeah. So then he got the England job from that, you know, miraculously really. But you can never shed that being bottom of the league. And without that Akin Femwa decision, I don't think it would have all really sort of blown up in the way it did. So... Do you reckon there's part of him that sits there at night and thinks, sit there and sits there at night and thinks, and made a couple of mistakes along, along the way here, and um, he's probably just counting his money. He's probably yeah, on I'm sure the hundred grand a year or something. <laughs> but I mean, South, Southgate himself. I mean, what did what did he do as a manager? He was manager of Middlesbrough, wasn't he? Didn't he? He got them relegated, I think. Mm. Um, so it's not you're not like you're we're not you're not overly blessed with these great leaders. Although he's done good with he's done well with England, hasn't he, Southgate? not you know mm. these track records at, at club level don't really seem to to matter it's really and I, especially with Southgate I like Southgate a lot I think he's doing a really good job but he's yeah. very much a company man isn't he yeah he's, he's really he's really good at, at talking and communicating in a very uh sort of on message brand specific way exactly and, and, and AD will be exactly the same Mm. I, I'm not sure that AD's little outburst would go down well with the FA. No, that probably not. The Blazers, I mean, actually. He might, he might have, have sort of um, seen some writing on the wall there. Yeah. <laughs> and thought, well, bollocks to it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to let, let unload a little bit here. Mm. Sometimes I wish bit... Gareth Southgate did that a little bit more because he's, like you said, 
an archetypal company man. He doesn't really come out and say, he says it in a roundabout way, but he never comes out and say, look, the Premier League, we don't play enough English players. My my players aren't getting enough game time by and large um, in the Premier League and we need more to produce a better side. He often will just tow the company line and maybe we just need him to just sort of just go all out like Boyfreud has done and just put it on the line there. Um, but I guess you don't last long in a corporate institution like the FA if you do that. So we'll see how AD goes. If he gets fired, he's got more time to relay his book to you, Jeff, anyway. so Well, exactly. We can have lots of long, <laughs> lots of long Zoom conversations about mm. So yes, <laughs> that one. I can't wait soon. to read the chapter on whether he did actually find KFC buckets in Bayo's car. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a funny sort of story because Bayo was so sort of incensed by the... it. wasn't that he had sort of like fast foods. That's what essentially Nando's is. Wrappers in his car. He was just incensed that it was KFC and not Nando's, his favourite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this was um, this was always the case with Bayo, but I'm, I remember he used to um, he used to drive because he lives in uh, South East London. I can't really be any more specific than that. And he used to so he'd drive up to training at Northampton really really early in the morning, like five a.m., six a.m. or something, and then sleep in his car until training started. Um, <laughs> so he had I'm pretty sure he had a car that was all like blacked out windows because he would sleep in it. So for that very purpose, and I'm sure he said once something like, "How can, how can he see that I've got rappers in the? No one can see in my car." Something like that. <laughs> which is, which is, you know, a great point, isn't it? But AD would have a spy blatantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't say who it was. Andy Holt. <clears throat> <laughs> no, but he would have had a spy, and he would have been like, yeah. Um, but can you imagine if he didn't have blacked out windows and AD Bruford turned up to ch- uh, to training and. Uh, Bayo's asleep in his car with fast food wrappers around him. It would be a good look, wouldn't it? It's it's, it's, surely it's only rear windows and back window. Otherwise, that's against the law, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah the windscreen can't be. Can so he probably peered through the windscreen. Bayo, <laughs> fully reclined, mouth open, and, with drool on his chin and, and wrappers <laughs> everywhere. Uh, muffin wrappers. And, uh, driver's side and passenger side as well. I have to be a certain... Oh, do they? level of um see-throughness or whatever you call it (laughs) i was desperately searching for a technical term there yeah you tell bayo that uh andy you go and tell bayo that is i'm not going to do that (laughs) i'm just i'm not going to do it yeah um yeah, I've, as you, I, always during this podcast, I always lose my train of thought about what we're talking about. But yeah, I AD Boothroyd, moment, uh, football moment of the week from Jeff, which yeah. is a good one. And we'll keep an eye on um, AD as usual because his story is always intrinsically linked to Northampton. Um, let's go to you, James. Back playing football, haven't you? Yeah, that is my uh, moment of the week. March 29th, obviously, the government uh, decided that uh, we're allowed to go outside again and be useless at football, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, bumped into Jeff at goals, didn't we, Jeff? The first time we've seen each other in a little while. And, yeah, we uh, did, yeah. And, um, yeah, the experience was an interesting one. I think it was the quickest ever drinks break called after about three minutes. But, um <laughs> Yeah, it, it was good fun. Uh, but let's just say everyone was a little bit out of shape. Uh, but it, it was great fun to be back. Was that the fans team, James, or just something else? Yeah, so it's the Cobblers fans team. We did our first session back on 
Monday, and then I played on Wednesday at Moulton with the very aptly named Dean Pierce Left Peg, which is a kind <laughs> of shoot-off of the uh, fans team, and we've been playing at Moulton for about 15 years, and uh, we stormed to a 5-1 win, um, which was pretty good, so it's just nice, you know, because football is such a, especially down at this level, the, the social kind of aspect of it is massively important because you don't really go you know to be you're, you obviously want to be entertained by the football but it, it's kind of almost a, a byproduct of, of supporting the cobblers isn't it it's much more a social aspect um f- for me and you know uh, it's, you know not seeing people for, for for four months who you kind of saw every saturday uh it, it was nice to see everyone again mm. It's a shame that it's not nice seeing uh, the Cobblers' actual first team so much at the moment. <laughs> so I can do without seeing you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, the fans' team seems like a really good thing if anyone's listening and fancies a game at the weekend. You play against other teams from I know it goes sort of goes without saying, but that's that's sort of how it works. And is there a league and stuff? Um, yeah, so it's it's called the IFA League. Um, don't ask me what it stands for, I think it's Independent Fans Association or something like that. But uh, we, we try and echo, if so, if, for example, Cobblers are playing Cambridge in the afternoon, we'll, we'll play the Cambridge fans team in the mm. morning. Uh, it, it, unfortunately, it's been quite a, a northern-centric league for a couple of years that we've been in. So we've ended up tending to play kind of MK Dons, Cambridge, Stevenage, Luton quite a lot. And especially kind of during COVID, we've not been able to travel as far. But when things are up and normal, yeah, we, we try and make a day out of the away games if we can. And it, it's always a good laugh. And anyone is welcome. I can assure you, you're, you're, the lack of ability will not stop anyone from joining the team. <laughs> same with the Cobblers yet again. There's so many <laughs> We do share a lot of the same strategies, uh, kind of coaching, coaching badges and all that. <laughs> so yeah if you're um, at least on a Saturday give the Cobblers fans team a shout and um, that was a good one um, James I reckon you know the football uh, the English parks are going to be sort of uh, resounding with the sound of sort of unfit males and females I guess after lockdown to uh, sort of trying to get their fitness back and play a bit of football but it's all good it's all good to get out there and play again um, my football moment of the week is from a slightly higher level no offence James from um, Cobblers fans team Um it was Kani Chukwamika, uh, Caleb Chukwamika's brother, who came through the ranks at North- They both came through the ranks at Northampton. Kani now plays for Aston Villa, taken from Northampton under the Elite Player Performance Plan as a teenager. Um, Kani Chukwamika scored for England under 18, the Wales, this week. It's a very good goal. And we always talk about Cobblers players. You know, we talk about Ivan Tony, that left us really. After, you know, for a fraction of his real value. We talked a little bit about Caleb. Myself and James talk about him quite a lot in the um, debrief podcast of him potentially leaving. But these guys, even Ivan Tony, could be dwarfed by Carney Chukwamiki, who plays for Aston Villa. And there is fairly strong interest, apparently, for him from Bayern Munich and Juventus. Oh, wow. The kid who came through the ranks at Northampton. Um playing with Villa he's just about 16 I think but he's being talked about as like the new Pogba that sort of box-to-box midfielder and this is the one that could be the worst of them all if if that ever goes through imagine a guy came through the ranks at Northampton goes to Bayern Munich or Juve Um, and the problem with the elite player performance plan I've talked about it quite a bit is that if he plays for the Premier in the Premier League for Villa just say 
and he plays 100 games for Villa, there's a sort of a capping system of compensation uh, for players taken under the elite player performance plan. So if he plays 100 Premier League appearances for Villa, if my calculations are right, Cobblers would get 1.3 million. Now, if you play 100 appearances in the Premier League, especially as an England player, someone like him, you're going to be worth way more than 1.3 million. So the compensation just pales into insignificance. And I'm not even sure you get compensation if you get transferred out of the UK. So if he gets transferred from Villa to Bayern Munich or Juve, the compensation potentially could be even less. So it's just a, it's just a, a real pool like that one. But it's just to see a player doing so well for England at that level, under 18 level and just being talked about so much and, you know, not doing it for Northampton. It's, it's terrible. I don't know if you guys got an opinion on that elite player performance plan, but it doesn't, you know, fill me with confidence at all. So is, is there, is there a kind of um, stipulation, for example, that with every transfer we get anything back, or is it literally just the first transfer? I think, you know? Yeah, don't quote me on this. And I'm, you know, if anyone knows better, just sort of let, let us know. I think it only counts for the first transfer, I think, because I think it was a problem or could potentially be in a problem with um, Lewis Fraser Hornby, Lewis Hornby's brother. Yeah. Now, he got sold, he got taken under the player performance plan by Everton. And then he got sold to France, didn't he? So I think the more transfers you have, the less chance you have of getting any compensation. So, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I just don't think... I think the more transfers the player potentially goes through, the less the cobblers will get. So, mm. just be... So it's law for Northampton, wouldn't it, for a, a guy who grew up in Northampton ending up at bloody Juventus. But it is what it is, I guess. When I was covering the club, it happened a few times with players way, way down the, the age groups. I'm talking to 12, 13-year-olds. Yeah. That, um that they wanted to, that went off to, oh, there was one lad I think went to Chelsea, I remember. Yeah, right. he was 10 years old, wasn't he? Yeah, was it um, Giassi, something like that? Michael Giassi or something? Anyway, and it was, it was very, yeah, I think he was very, very young and it was kind of like, the club were like, well, for a start, there's not really a lot we can do under the E triple P and also they were like, well, we'll get, they're going to give us however much it was, it's not a lot of money and they're kind of a bit like, well, how can we compete if the parents are hearing that Chelsea want this player and the facilities they've got? How can we possibly say we'd want to keep him here? Especially yep. at those ages as well, you know, where it's very, very unlikely they're going to develop into a professional player. So, yeah, it's, it, it, but, it, but it kind of, it w- if you're a club, it would kind of dissuade you, wouldn't it, from investing in the youth team because... Although once they sign a professional contract, then all bets are off. Is that right? Um, I think uh, yeah, right. yeah. But to to get a professional contract, you need to be of a certain age, don't you? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think you, and yeah, that's why um, the the brother who's you'll have to help me out with his name, who's in the who's in the senior squad now, hasn't hey, signed. A, yeah, he hasn't signed a professional contract, has he? No. Yeah, that's that's a bit of an iffy one, isn't it? <laughs> I've just I've just looked it up, Jeff. So it was Michael Guy. I see, good memory. Oh, where do you re- where, where do you reckon he is now? Um, I'm gonna go with um, Haven and Waterlooville. 
not far off, Kings Lynn Town. <laughs> oh, Kings Lynn. He's oh, 21 now. So that was 11 years ago that happened. Mm. Kings Lynn Town. But mm. if you go to Chelsea at the age of 10, it's so easy to get sort of like just lost in that whole talent farm, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. you're better off just staying at Northampton, as they've shown with people like Sean McWilliams, Tony, and just, I think some parents are sort of getting wise to it now that you're better off going to a crew or Northampton or Exeter and, you know, trying to make it, make it that way. And you get, you know, a bit more of a, bit more of a family atmosphere and you a bit more patience and stuff. And I reckon some parents are thinking, but then you've also got the, the, just the temptation to say my kid plays for Chelsea or my kid plays for Villa. My, um, my Knox County supporting mate, he's got, um, I think my brother-in-law has got, uh, I think one kid's at Chelsea, one's at another big club, and that he's been long watching. Facilities are great, and that, but as you say, you do sort of get a bit lost amongst. I mean, my, I'm, I'm supremely proud of my nephew who plays for for Lincoln under 16s who used to come and watch Cobblers. But even if you're at Lincoln or you're at Cobblers, you've got an age cohort coming through, like a school year coming through, of maybe 14, 15 players. They're not going to make. They're not going to make the football league. You know, they're, they're. You know, if one comes through every other year, you're probably doing okay. Let's move on to some more somber news. Uh, sad to hear that Lee Collins, very fine footballer, sadly died recently, aged just 32. Um, Lee was signed by Ad Boothroyd in 2013. He played 75 times for the club over two seasons and I remember him as a really good technical player with a solid left foot if I remember rightly. Um, I'm going to go to you on this one, Jeff. Obviously terribly sad. Oh. You, where'd you start? But you, you know, you, you must have interviewed him a few times and been around him a bit. Yeah, yeah, interviewed him loads. Um, really, really nice guy. Every, I mean, there's been lots of posts on Twitter um and facebook and stuff and everything that everyone is saying is kind of along the same lines you know very good player on the pitch very aggressive um defender but not unskillful as you said a technical player i actually think if he'd been three or four inches taller he'd have played center half at a higher level um that the height thing possibly counted against him and that's why he was sort of shunted out to fall back a lot of the time and the fact that he was very adaptable meant that he played fullback quite like he actually played left back didn't he in the 2013 playoff final which probably the less said about that the better but then also all the other stuff everyone has said about anyone that met him and I don't know if you guys have met him I'm sure a lot of the listeners did get to meet him so he was a really nice guy and that was definitely something I got um when I first started covering the cobblers I was a little bit sort of starstruck around the players and that and I kind of wanted to be mates with them and you know, you very quickly realise as a journalist that that's not how it's going to be and that's not how it should be really either. But there were a few of them that I got on really well with. Um, I can bend obviously to a point. Scott McLeish I got on really well with. Um, Jake Robinson, you know, there's a few others. And Lee Collins is I would put in that category as well. Um, to the point where we are actually friends on Facebook. And I went, as soon as the news broke today, I I looked at his Facebook and one of the first pictures that comes up is his three daughters and they're all younger than my youngest daughter. I'd say they're all under 10. And it's just, that's like when it really hits you. It's like, this is a really horrible thing that's happened. 
and we no one knows what's happened, how he has died, uh, and, and it's not any of our business. But the, the bottom line is there's three daughters there now who will grow up now without a father. And that is really, really horrible and really upsetting. Um, but, you know, a, a really good guy, <laughs> very, very aggressive at times on the pitch. And, I, you know, there was the, obviously he came, he was not a perfect individual. Um, but then who is? You know, he had a conviction, didn't he? Uh, and sort of did, um, he did community service for his conviction and things like that. And I, I, I said to um, Kelvin Langmead, I think it was, name dropping there a little bit i said i can't i can't really having spoken to him and sort of been around him i was around the squad a fair bit when they had the pre-season tour of scotland under chris wilder which i think was 2014 and um i said like he seems like such a nice guy i don't know how that could have happened and he said he's got very short um <laughs> which is interesting also on that on that scottish tour uh lee collins said to me once uh, what size what size boots are you? And I said, uh, 10. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm a 10 as well. I've got some spare boots. Um, do you want to play in the five-a-sides at training today? And I was like, no, you're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he goes, why, why? Are you worried that we'll kick you? And I went, no. No, I just don't feel, feel fit enough. And he said, well, you should be worried because we would all have kicked you. I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's nice. <laughs> nice to know. But he was, he, was a re- he was a really good lad. Like, everything that everyone said about him is right. Really, really nice. Really easy to talk to. Massively down to earth. Um, it's a shame, really, that he was released in that summer, the 2015 summer, because obviously then the team went and won the league the following season. So that would have been nice for him to have had that, mm. uh, that memory and experience with the club. Um, but he he lived right he lived right by Sixfield. I think he lived in Upton or St Crispin's around there somewhere. So he lived in Northampton, and I, I, he was still living there until for a couple of years after he left the club. Because I used to see him at the gym a fair bit and chat to him there. Um, so yeah, that was when he was at Mansfield. So yeah, really really nice guy. And he's like 32. I mean, it's just terrible. It's really it's just really bad, isn't it? Mm. I I spoke to him a couple of times. And he all struck me as despite, you know, certain things that had happened, actually pretty level-headed and a good clubman, actually, and and, and a yeah. good public face for the football club in terms of just being able to talk to supporters and, you know, just treating, you know, fans with respect. I always respected him for that. And um, Martin, didn't he do some community service with one of your friends, Enya? Is that right? Yeah, when he, um, when he was at his community service, the assault conviction he had... Um, I think it was, I'd have to check with Enya, but the British Heart Foundation shop um, in Wellingborough. And he was there. So it was like suddenly Enya's like, you'll never guess whose boss I am. <laughs> and it was one of our players. But, you know, he came across well to her. And I I spoke with Lee a couple of times in the uh, in Cars Bar. And I remember, remember getting a photo. It's probably the first player that my nephew, Lewis, that I was talking about earlier, plays for Lincoln now. Um First one, and it was like, you know, do you mind get a picture of your nephew? With you? And he couldn't have been nicer. And I think to the point, I remember seeing him in the bar, subsequent games, he remembered Lewis's name. And it's just like, when you're when you're a little kid, I recognise that in my nephew, of like, mm-hmm. how does that feel? You know, as a, um, as a kid, doesn't make someone a brilliant person. You know, everyone's got their demons. But it um, just says, you know, there's a, a real decency about the guy. And it's, you know, it's obviously tragic news this week and you know 
as as uh, I think Jeff said, you know, I've, I've you know I've had a couple of discussions with Lee on Facebook on different different matters and that around contracts and stuff and football and just glance at his Facebook page and you see his three daughters and it's like, oh, you know, that's um, puts a lot of the things that we all get upset about or angry about. Sometimes it's a bit of a um, a level, not a leveler, but it, it brings you back down to earth and realise, you know, that oh, Christ, there are um, some terrible things that happen. Mm, well said, Martin. Um, James or Andy, have you got any to say about it or are you happy to, for us to move on i mean just yeah i mean just to add you know the, the fact that he was i think he was captain for us for, for a fair while wasn't he and then he was captain at every other club after yeah. he, he played for us i think that says a lot about the player and the kind of guy he was one of my favorite memories of him and it, it wasn't his proudest moment but jeff mentioned the aggression there and uh he was always so kind of like putting everything into winning. I don't know who, if any of you went to a game away at Wickham Wanderers, I think it was. And I think Wickham scored a goal in the last minute and started celebrating in front of oh, Lee yeah. Collins. And yeah. he yes. took exception to it. And he basically picked the guy up and in like, and Jeff will be able to describe a pro wrestling group better than I will. <laughs> but he basically body slammed him. Um, and it wasn't his proudest moment, but I just and he somehow got away with that without like a yellow card or anything, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, it was one of my favorite moments just because I thought I'm never going to see anything like that ever again. Uh, just for him to <laughs> just for someone who just wanted to win the game so much. Um, you speak to any fan who met him, uh, and and they they said he, he was a really nice lad. I, I interviewed him, I think, a couple of times. It was kind of just before I started properly reporting on them for, for the Herald and Post. But, he, you know, he seemed a nice lad. Um, mm. But, you know, he was one of those defenders who he could, I felt like he could do everything, which you don't really see too much down at this level. He could win, you know, balls in the air, but he also had a really good kind of could play out from the back and he was left footed yeah. as, as well. So yeah. he was kind of a bit of an anomaly for a defender and that he could kind of do everything. And yeah, I was gutted when, when we let him go. I thought he, I thought he could have, um, I thought he had more to give us, but you, you can't really argue with the decision, bearing in mind the season we went on went on to have. But I think you can look at the career he's had since then and, and, and realise that, yeah, he, he'd have still done a job for us in that title season. Uh, so, yeah, it's just 32. It's no age, is it? Mm, I think in fairness to Chris Wilder, I was looking back at some of the old articles, probably written by Jeff at the time, that... Um, Chris Wilder said it was a very difficult decision to release him and he just had um, a couple of defenders in mind. So that was, a, that was a close one. And if you look at the tributes from the football world, I've been keeping an eye on it this, this evening and there's just so many tributes from all different facets of the football world and that speaks volumes for Lee. So, um, yeah, our thoughts are with his family and friends at this time. It's a very difficult time, but hopefully they get through it as best they can. Um, let's move on to another Martin Maloney Slugger special idea. This one is the lightning in a bottle 11. Martin, explain what this is, mate. So I think we're, we're having a bit of a, a chat about ideas to keep us going through the um, that off-season that's going to be coming. And I went full partridge, started sending voicemails to us in the manner of the man himself. And one of them was, I think we called it, yeah, we called it lightning in a bottle. Who are the players? We always notice the players that seem to do well elsewhere and didn't do much when they were at us. 
um, Henderson, Ian Henderson probably being the, the the archetype of that player. But there's also the other players, the ones that were great or really good for us, but before or after, were like, yeah, not one you wanted to sign. And I thought, man, there's quite a few there. And yeah. we maybe think about the ones at the other end of the spectrum more because that missing out feels worse than we got lucky. But I do, I did notice uh, looking at our Twitter feed earlier that um, it's inspired quite a few thoughts. Andy, have you got any ones that fit the bill for this? Again, you're probably um, pressing rewind uh, quite a bit. I mean, it was... It was injury for with, with, with us I, talking about the I old would, days. Yeah, I know Surely you not. guys. Are, I mean, if we're talking the last decade, decade and a half, then um, I was out of the loop really. Um, but I mean, I know it was injury and force, but um, I was thinking about um, about Richard Hill for that. To be honest, yeah, um, mm-hmm. it pretty much yeah. well was was a bit of a non-entity until he came to Northampton. Obviously, we we got the best of him, and then he did his knee, and then that was it. I mean, he he played a bit for Oxford, didn't he? After it um, after it went wrong at Watford, um, but you know, I, I don't think he did anything quite quite as dramatic as he did between those um, sort of three seasons during the you know the Graham Carr glory years. I think um, if you read some of the stuff he's talked about those moves, and he went, oh, sorry, that move to Watford. I think Chelsea were after him. And I think Tottenham were after him as well. I might be wrong, but it just, I think that move to Watford was a bad one for him and loads of different levels, obviously the injury. And Andy might know a little bit more about it, but. Yeah, again, I'm just thinking back to one of Pete Norton's books from that season. There's a brilliant photo of Richard Hill, you know, comically sort of holding a copy of the Cron open and, you know, pull a quizzical face, Richard. And I think it it was was a story about um, him, possibly, I think it was Tottenham. Yeah, possibly going to Tottenham in sort of 1980. What would it have been? Early 87. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously it was Graham Taylor that tempted him. Um, but what you would think of probably as, as bigger bigger teams in Tottenham. And, yeah, I seem to remember Chelsea being banded around as well. I, I think, think Graham that, Taylor got sacked or something. Yes. I don't think Graham Taylor stayed one of, the, one of the things that I think Hill said or other people said around the time was that, He'd been signed by one manager and loaned back to us. That manager then left. I think he might have left to go to Villa. And Dave Bassett came in and Bassett wanted to play. And, you know, we'll need to think about what I'm saying here and just like take a breath when I say it. (laughs) That Dave Bassett wanted to play more more direct and the sort of buccaneering midfielder isn't going to really fit in that 4-2-4. Now, if you've been signed by Graham Taylor... And then the next manager says, I'm going to play a bit more direct. You get an idea of what that old Wimbledon side were like and that Sheffield United side that that Bassett had success at. So that meant he then had been loaned back to us, gone to a club, new managers and fancy him, then gets over to Oxford. And yeah, it probably there was a, I'm sure it isn't the name of a film, a series of unfortunate circumstances. Mm. But, um, but what a player for Northampton. Oh. It's, 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 sometimes it's sweet that they have their best years for us. I quite like that. Like, Did, I anybody, think... did anybody else, this is the, inf- the cultural influence of Hill as well, who else went to a hairdresser's 
around that, you know, being that age, asking for a Richard Hill. No way. Surely <laughs> Is that no just way. me? <laughs> Martin, you asked for a Richard Hill? Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> well, I, it wasn't long enough to have a Trevor Morley, was it? <laughs> Amazing, Martin. We're just going to have to superimpose your face with Richard Hill's hair and just, uh, you can live your dream. I'd have to ask my mum if you've got any photos of me when I'm about, about 13, 14. <laughs> What did the hairdresser say, Martin? Oh, they knew what you wanted because <laughs> all, all the cool kids, I don't know where you were, but all the cool kids were having a Richard Hill. <laughs> so in the massage. Well, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's Brilliant. a massage issue. Yeah, I'll go, yeah. It's yeah. only going to be never. half a look. <laughs> yeah, we, ta- we tash, even when I was older, the old ginger tash never looked good. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, this is just fantastic stuff, and uh, yeah, we'll just have to. We'll just we'll, just, we'll get an artist impression of you looking like uh, Richard Hill. <laughs> an e fit, an e fit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll just go through some of the readers' ones. Actually, we're sort of running out of time a little bit, but we've had some really good ones, and some of them just sort of make sense. Some of them maybe less so. Um, Joshua's gone for Charlie Good, which is quite a current run, really, and maybe he needs a bit more time to try and be successful, but. Does make sense. Um, Phil Aegis has gone for F and E lad. Now, great F1 played for the Cameroon international team, so I'm not having that one, Phil. Just know your facts, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Max Doyle, um, Rod McDonald, which I think that's a good one. Concrete that Rod. He's a really good shout. Never really hit the heights of Northampton, and that great goal he scored that time um, elsewhere. So that was a good one. Um, Adam Smith. Now, he honestly, I thought he would be would be up there with you know Northampton's first sort of one million pound sale. He was so good yep. for a yeah. period, wasn't he? For under that Chris uh, Wilder, but um, never really kicked on. And uh, most famous for his uh, famous video, but we won't say anything about that one. Um, Ad Richards has gone for Richard Hill as well, so that's a good one from him. Uh, NTFC player vault. I don't know if that's a person or just a, you know, a thing. If we've been treated so by a robot. <laughs> um, or is Elon for... Musk's brother or something? <laughs> Elon Musk's brother is uh, invested in an NTFC player vault. He's got all. It has gone for Super Kevin Thornton. Now I think that's yeah. pretty good one, Jeff. Yeah, I saw that. But I think he was quite good um, at times for Coventry, um, fle- fleetingly. But yeah, was definitely at his best for us. Mm. So that was a good one. Um, I, I reckon this has got to be up there with probably number one. Ricky Holmes from Lee Wade. Yeah. He played really well at Charlton, though. He had a great season, didn't he? His first season after leaving us for Charlton, he was great. And I think it was the injuries that did, that did for him. I mean, we definitely got the best value out of him for anybody because we paid nothing for him. We got him when Pompey didn't want him. But I, I do think that he almost gave Charlton what they paid for. Mm, I think maybe because he was just almost world class for us, scoring these Premier League or sort of European Cup level goals for us. Oh, like, that one Luton, the one at the winner at Luton away, one of my favourites. Or a Leighton Orient one. That was that ridiculous. was about his fourth best goal that year. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he was. To be fair, Holmes was actually pretty good for Barnet, as I remember as well. Before, I'm sure he did play pretty well for Barnet at Sixfields. But well, everyone I, played well for Barnet against us. 
Yes. Uh, it was a real bogey side. It didn't matter where we were in the league or where they were. We'd usually lose 4-1. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you're right, James. But, uh, yeah, I can see where Lee, Lee Wade's coming from on that one. Um, Ashley Hardy always produces some good answers. And he says, Mark Bunn. Mark Bunn probably could have gone on. Although he, he played for Blackburn and sat on the bench for Villa for a long time, probably could have had a, a lot better career than he had given... I'm not saying that he was happy with being a bench warmer, but it was probably quite lucrative. Um, do you reckon Mark Burns sneaks in as that sort of criteria? It's strange, isn't it? Because he chose, I felt like he chose the career he had. Um, mm. where he could have had, you know, he could have played a lot more than he did. Uh, yeah. But I feel like he, he chose to be kind of that third choice Premier League. I mean, he did play quite a few games. I think he had a season at Norwich, didn't he, where he, where he played quite a lot. And... Um, at Blackburn, I think when Paul Robinson got injured, you know, had had a bit of a spell playing there. But yeah, we definitely saw the best of him. Mm, yeah, so that was a good one. And for me, possibly up there with our best ever goalies in, in my time anyway. I think he was just a brilliant shot stopper and yeah, super goalie. Um, on that note, in terms of goalies, we've got Andy Woodman as well. So he's been in the news. He's actually, I should have mentioned that earlier, he's manager of Bromley now. Did anyone notice that? Yeah, I listened yeah. to... Um, I listened to, sorry, lads, I listened to another podcast, but it's really? one called Under the Cosh. <laughs> it's one called you Under the Cosh, which... You to Thursday nights, and you're already admitting to unfaithfulness. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's, you it's lockdown. You I'm to having to men. fill my hours. <laughs> In all seriousness, it was one called Under the Cosh, which John Parkin does. Oh, and they had, very good. They had Woody on that, and it was two of the... Yeah. It was so funny, and he was just basically uh talking about how crap he was at exeter for you know a good half hour but for yeah. anyone who's read his autobiography it was just kind of like a glorified retelling of it it was so funny uh well worth a listen once you finish listening to this podcast of course i love the i love the one where he said um i don't i can't remember if it's exeter or Colton, well, i think it was exeter they, they badly needed the money from a cup run um, yeah it was exeter and they were like People were being made redundant on the verge of being made redundant, like office staff at the club and stuff. And they were winning this cup tie one nil, and uh, and he got sent off uh, for something really stupid he did. And then they eventually lost two one. And he said to to like lighten the mood a bit, he said um, in the dressing room afterwards, "Well, it was one nil when I went off. We were we were winning one nil." <laughs> <laughs> And um, is that right, James? Have I got that yeah, right? He, and then he, he like said hours he, later, he went to the cobblers. Yeah, he basically got sent home by the manager. Uh, the reason he got sent off was because he tried to do a step over. Um, oh, that's it, yeah. And, yeah, and the, yeah. the funny thing is he'd been sent off in the game before uh, as well. <laughs> and he, so he'd been recalled and he said, right, so the manager's like, right, this is your, kind of your last chance. And then, <laughs> yeah, he did that. And uh, <laughs> basically the whole the city turned against him. <laughs> the keeper, and you think a step over is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see that he has actually, he's actually managed um, a club previously. He did ma- he managed um, Whitehawk? Um, I just have a feeling this may end in tears. <laughs> I've got to admit that I didn't. His, his name sort of didn't jump out at me as a manager, particularly. You know, given his profile a little bit. And yeah, even re- listening to that podcast. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of it takes different different strokes with different folks. Like different characters can succeed as a manager. So you know, hopefully he does. And if he does well, maybe a future Cobblers manager. You never know. 
stranger things have happened. Mm. But um, that was a good one from Adam Barbie. He didn't really ever hit the heights after leaving Northampton. Um, we'll wrap up now with one from Shane Webster. He's gone for Eric Sabin or Sama, the French striker. Um, Shane says he was deemed to be useless by Swindon fans when we signed him. Superb for us and real fun to watch. And I sort of concur with that. Do you concur with that, guys? That he was. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, I love Sabin. Yeah. Just yeah. being just being French, he was a bit sort of you know like football hipster sort of points. It's pretty good, wasn't it, to have a Frenchman up front and very yeah, yeah, the sort of unusual playing style, I guess. It was sort of ungainly to an extent, lot like sort of like running onto free balls and stuff. Sort of strike I seen. I sort of like to watch really. Um, Jeff, were you covering the Cobblers when he played for us? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, great lad. Um, lang- languid, I suppose you'd say, playing style. Yeah, he's, he was... Um, did he miss the penalty in the shootout at Mansfield? He did. He did. Yeah. He missed he it. He was absolutely devastated after that. He was sort of being in tears and stuff, like being consoled by other players. Well, this was getting on the bus and that. Yeah, good, great well, lad. Well, that was a, the penal- that penalty shootout was... It was 5-4 and it was only one miss. Everything else went in. And I'm sure I read or or heard on the radio that he just said very calmly, I think it was the next day, I'm never taking another penalty again. Yeah, that's right. It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a shame Phil Crossley said he was never going to referee a game again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Asamoah should have had a penalty in that, in the that right at the end of that game. That's sort of the thing that gets a bit overlooked and all that mayhem with their player not getting sent off and stuff. Is that Asamoah was clearly fouled in like the 120 second minute and never got a penalty for it? Colin Larkin scored a penalty for them, didn't he, that night in the shootout? God, yeah. he wasn't a good player, was he? That we signed? <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't make this list. I was a bit um, gutted. I never got the chance to ask Keith actually about his real thoughts uh, that night. Keith Kerr was obviously the Mansfield manager that night, wasn't he? And uh, yeah, I'd love to have yeah, asked him yeah. for his real thoughts on on whether he thought we were robbed that night because he. Can't think we weren't, surely. <laughs> I thought it was very obvious no, to I, well, the I, ground. I interviewed, I interviewed him after that game because I, was, um, I wasn't covering them then. Pace was, but I would always go to games and try to pick up. Well, like, if he was too busy, I'd always get the opposition manager and stuff. But I can't remember what he said. I do remember, though, that he, he was having a quick fag before I interviewed him. Um, <laughs> and then, but I can't remember if he thought they were lucky or not. He probably didn't. He probably said something like they even themselves out over a season or something equally thrilling. Possibly uh, something yeah, else about fundamentals and jigsaws. Yeah. <laughs> um, could I chuck an honourable mention in? I think it was A.D. Richards' other suggestion, and it, it was slightly different, but managers. Oh, yeah. And Graham Carr. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. From 85, sort of um, 85, 86 sort of built a platform, 86-87, runaway division four, only just missed out on the playoffs to go up into what would now be the championship. Mm. Mid-table, then went down and left, but went to, I think, Maidstone and Blackpool afterwards. Didn't, you know, nothing at all, was crap at both of them, and has tra- transformed himself into, like, you know, a, a top scout for, for France for, I think... Um, Newcastle and then Spurs. Um, but someone who was a massive motivator had a really good tactical sort of 
direct, but you know, we've we've got a way of playing and not, you know, we'll get the most out of players. It's it was interesting that it just kind of worked at one place, didn't work anywhere else, and he took himself off to do something else that he was very, very good at. Mm-hmm. It's a very, that's a very good point as well. And um, yeah. maybe it was a sort of a salutary lesson to um, sort of, um, what's he say, Keith Curl, that Carr had the players to play that style. And, you know, he could probably could have played any style with those players. But without those brilliant players, you know, you're sort of like hamstrung and your style becomes sort of more derided. But Cobblers fans back in, it's slightly before my time, but Cobblers fans weren't even talking about the style of play at all, I guess, were they, Martin? They were just reveling in the goals. <laughs> when you, when you, when you, you know, we could, we'd all fixate on, on styles and tactics and you yeah. have more, more time to think about it when things aren't going well. Whatever style someone plays. They're coming in getting results. Mm. You get behind them, you know. It's, it, yeah, yeah. We're simple, you know. Football fans, we, we, we are relatively simple people. We want to win you, two. Martin, on the sidelines oh. in your uh, Richard Hill hairstyle. Very much, lads very much. <laughs> but you, you want, you want your team to win. It's brilliant when they do, and if they win lots in a season, they go up. <laughs> That's true. Right, guys, let's um, let's sign off for the night now. We've got a big weekend of football coming up. We've got yeah. Shrewsbury uh, on Friday, Good Friday, and then uh, Hull on Monday. So okay. our season's not going to be completely decided in the next few days, but along the way to going that way. I'm getting pretty nervous about it. We're just going to go and sort out Martin's photo fit for his um, uh, Richard Hill haircut, and uh, we'll reconvene next uh, Friday to see what happens. Take it easy, guys. Cheers, cheers, Ed Top. Cheers, Ed. See you later. Have a good night, Ed. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.